Hi everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am honored to be joined by Brian McLaren, who has uh, authored so many books over the years. And if you're listening, you you might've read some of his books. Um, They've been very uh, foundational, I know, in a lot of people's, uh, particularly their faith journeys as well. And so I'm excited to bring this conversation to you. But before we get into that, I do want to give a couple of quick shout outs and thank yous to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for the podcast and Sam Massey, who's created the music for this podcast. And if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, uh, I do want to let you know uh, kind of why this podcast got started. And the reason why this podcast is here is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because if you're like me, you've probably noticed that you can't have or can't talk with anyone about necessarily anything um, because you're afraid of what the other person is going to think. And maybe you're afraid that you'll be ostracized or judged or that uh, that your disagreement will lead to a separation or even a break in the relationship with certain people because of, you know, maybe maybe just many different reasons. Uh, I know that those reasons can, often, can oftentimes be very personal to people, but regardless, it leads to a break or it leads to uh, judgment or anger or uh, any other uh, emotional, strong emotional response to that. And here on The Learner's Corner, we want to create the type of environment to where even if maybe you don't feel like you can have those conversations uh, with someone in particular right now, maybe you can listen in on some of those conversations that get to happen as well. And so today, uh, one of those conversations or one of the people that we're going to be learning from is Brian McLaren. And, you know, one of the things that uh, that I talk about here on the podcast is that, you know, we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and everyone, everyone and from anything and everything. And today, the person that we are learning from is Brian McLaren, who has recently authored this brand new book called Faith After Doubt, Why Your Beliefs Stopped Working and What to Do About It. And I remember uh, I got this book as I was preparing for our conversation and I was reading through it and there was just so many moments as I'm reading through the book and going, oh man, I'd never heard, I'd never thought of it this way, but it makes so much sense. And really this book in particular, I feel like gets at, um, it kind of the heartbeat of what the learner's corner is for and what it is, what it is about. And so I'm really excited to bring that conversation to you. But before that, I do want to tell you a little bit about Brian. Brian is a former college professor and a former, and he he was a pastor for 24 years, and now he's an author, activist, public theologian, and frequent guest lecture, lecturer for gatherings in the United States and international. His work has been featured in uh, many outlets such as Time Magazine, Newsweek USA Today, The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and many other media outlets. He is authored more than 15 books, including uh, this one, Faith After Doubt, and the award-winning A New Kind of Christian. He is currently a faculty member of the Living School at the Center for Action and Contemplation. And without any further wait, here is my conversation with Brian McLaren. Brian, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about your brand new book, Faith After Doubt. I'm really happy to be with you. Thanks, Caleb. Yeah. And and just as we get started, anytime that I talk with someone who has, you know, put out a book or really any type of piece of art, I love hearing the story behind what made someone uh, Mm. want to get to the point to release this thing out into the world. And so I would just love to hear what the story or the event or series of events that led you to go, Hey, I, I need to write this book. Oh, well, thanks, uh, Caleb. Yeah. I, I, I think there are kind of three strands that come together. Uh, the first is my own life. You know, I, I grew up in a, a really conservative, uh, Christian family. When I say really conservative, not that different from millions of people today. 
Um, and uh, as a young boy, I was really interested in science. And I really thought that evolution made a whole lot of sense. And I was taught in my church that you can't believe in evolution. Uh, and uh, in fact, I remember a Sunday school teacher saying, you have to make a choice. You either believe in God or evolution, one or the other. And so I remember thinking, okay, I'm, you know, four or five years, I'll be 18. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, really, my questions and doubts started at a young age. I ended up having some very powerful spiritual experiences in my teens. So I stayed in the church, but always with the sense that everything's not right here and I've got to have the freedom to think critically. Um, then I became a pastor many years later. And, uh, and so many people would come to my office with their doubts and their questions. Sometimes there were people in the Christian faith who were kind of on their way out, or else there were people outside the faith who were interested in coming in, but not if it meant that they had to be dishonest. Yeah. So that was a huge part of my life and ministry as a pastor. And that's where I started working on these four stages. I'd been doing a lot of research in um, human development and spiritual development, faith development. And I tried to synthesize a lot of different theorists to come up with a simple way that would help people see that faith is not something odd and wrong with them. It's actually a normal part of being a thinking human being. And then the third strand really is just these times, you know, uh, I, I mentioned in the book that uh, of, uh, in the United States, 65 million adults grew up going to church, but no longer do. Mm -hmm. And for so many of them, and they're joined by almost 3 million a year. So many of them, it's because they have honest questions and they're not getting any help uh, in, in their, in their uh, congregation. Yeah. And you mentioned the stages of doubt. And I do want to ask you about that in a little bit. Yeah. Before that, I, I just have a couple of things that I would just love to ask you about just concerning doubt, just in general and everything. Yes. Like you, you start out, um, you know, towards the beginning of the book, and you have this quote from Paul Tillich, and he says, you know, doubt, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. In fact, it's an element of faith. Sometimes I think it is my mission to bring faith to the faithless and doubt to the faithful. And I would just love <laughs> your, your commentary just on that quote itself and what made you want to put that in the book. Sure. Well, um, look, uh, I don't think anyone, at least no one I've ever met today, believes that the earth is in the center of the universe and the sun and the stars and the planets are in 10 concentric crystal spheres that surround the earth. Mm -hmm. But 100% of Christians uh, believe that uh, before, you know, 1400. Um, it was just the way people saw the universe. And, it's, and because it was the way everyone saw the universe, their prayers, they prayed to the God who created the 10 crystal spheres, uh, who in a sense presided over the world, almost like a, a literal aquarium, right? And their songs, they, they sang praises to God in that universe. And you can imagine when Copernicus and Galileo came along and said, oh, we'd like to make a slight tweak to your model of the universe. It would have been devastating. And in fact, uh, you know, Galileo was threatened with the with inquisition and imprisonment, and uh, someone named uh, Bruno, uh, a priest named Bruno, was actually executed because he said that Galileo was right. So, uh, doubt it, it, it. We wouldn't even believe what we believe today if it weren't for people in the past who had the courage to doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and I think what that's a big part of what. Uh, what that quote is trying to affirm. And then the flip side of it is that when we're so sure of things that we're, we're never willing to give them a second thought, then um, we're going to keep being wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. If we're wrong, we're going to stay wrong until we are liberated by, by some doubt. Yeah. What, why do you think like we are so uncomfortable whenever it comes to yeah. doubt? Because as you said, Doubt has led to so many, so much progress in our, and not only uh, each of our individual lives, but even yes, as a society yeah. and everything. And yet, we're so uncomfortable with it. Why do you think yeah. that is? I, I think there are probably the problem comes from two sides. 
Mm-hmm. Among believers, people are afraid, if I doubt one thing, it's a slippery slope, and soon I'll be doubting everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then many people who don't believe think, yeah, if I can doubt one thing, I can throw the whole thing out. So both sides can hold an all-or-nothing uh, attitude. And, and a lot of preachers reinforce this. And frankly, it's very efficient. That way a preacher can just say, believe everything or you're out of here uh, and stop asking questions. So that all or nothing mindset, I think, is behind a huge amount of our our discomfort. I I hate to say this, Caleb, but I also think some of it is um, a sign that authoritarianism goes reaches pretty far into a lot of our religious communities. And by authoritarianism, I mean a kind of leadership that basically says it's my way or the highway. And, um, and it's, it again, reinforces all or nothing thinking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, a big part of it. For, for someone who maybe does have that all or nothing thinking that you were talking about, like, what would you say to that person in relation to like their own doubts and why that doesn't have to be the case? Yes. Well, um, you know, one of my mentors used to say, if you want perfection or nothing, you will always get nothing. <laughs> um, and, and I think part of what we have to understand is that everything human beings touch is imperfect. Mm. Um, and so the person, you know, the person who tries to explain Christianity, their explanations will be imperfect. Their understandings are imperfect. And then the person who gets mad and leaves Christianity and sets up a new ideology, guess what? It won't be perfect either. Everything we do is imperfect. And once we acknowledge that, then that says, so we, we're going to have to proceed with an attitude of trust, but also with critical thinking. Uh, and we're going to have to have critical thinking, but there also has to be some element of trust. And I think that's, I think a, a good definition of faith is a way that we live with unknowing that embraces critical thinking and trust. Mm. That's really good. How how would you say we can go about using our critical thinking whenever it comes to our faith? Because uh, like that's not something that gets a lot of airtime. <laughs> yes. 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 Well, you know, it's interesting for us as Christians, we should realize this. Uh, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, uh, do not think I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. In other words, he says, don't think I've come to destroy everything you've ever heard and everything you currently believe. Now, he would only have to say that if some people thought he was destroying everything mm. that they said and believed, because he was definitely a, a shaking up the a- apple cart. And then he says, I think five times in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say. And what he's basically saying is, I'm asking you to doubt. I'm asking you to doubt what you've been told. I'm asking you to doubt what you currently think. And I'm presenting to you a different way of thinking. Now, he's not trying to destroy the law and the prophets. He says he's trying to fulfill them, which I think means I'm trying to fulfill their intent. The law and the prophets, the law brought you so far. The prophets brought you a little farther. I'm trying to bring you even farther. And they fulfilled their purpose. And now it's time to keep moving forward. And, And if we understand that's, at the heart of the teaching of Jesus, um, if, if nobody was willing to doubt, then they would have rejected Jesus. And if, we're, if you're Protestant, you got to stay the same with Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, basically said, I'm asking people to doubt certain things they've been taught by their authority figures. Mm-hmm. And so that that's, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for both of those, uh, that, that ability to both keep faith, but also have critical thinking. Yeah, well, and that, that even made me think of like that, that goes into what you were talking about with the all or nothing is that Jesus yes. or Martin Luther didn't say, Hey, not all of it is bad, but exactly. it is incomplete for it. And yes. you don't need to throw everything away. That's it. That's it. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. But you know, um, uh, uh, this is, this is a step of maturity. That's very hard for some people because I think at some stages in life, all or nothing thinking becomes, comes so naturally. and to have the ability to not make it all or nothing, that in itself is a step of maturity. And for some people, 
They just can't do it yet. They're not ready to do it yet. So they tend to bounce back and forth from one all or nothing thing to another. Mm-hmm. I, I would love your thoughts also on how fear plays a role whenever it comes to doubt yes. as well. Yes. Well, uh, I, I think maybe fear uh, uh, immediately comes to mind three, yeah. three levels. One level is fear of my, my community. What will my parents say? What will my pastor say? What will my fellow Christians say if I don't agree with them on this or if I'm questioning this? So we have a fear of rejection by people that we love. Those people may have told us that if we doubt this, God will reject us too, or God will punish us, or God won't bless us. And so then we have this sort of fear of God thrown in too. Um, And then I think we also have a fear within ourselves. If I question this and risk losing uh, people in my community and and get in trouble with God, who will I be? What what am I going to do? What kind of person am I going to be? And so I think so much fear is associated with doubt. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way, but uh, it often is. I, I remember Caleb. I was a teenager, and you know, I I was having a lot of questions. And I went to this guy who was a few years older than me, and I said, "Hey, what do you think about you know this?" Uh, it might have been evolution. It might have been some other you know issue. And he, I I said, uh, you know, what they're telling me at church just doesn't make sense. Here's what he, I'll never forget. He said to me, you know, Brian, there are four different ways to look at that. Mm. <laughs> and what was so amazing to me is, hold it. No, there are only two ways to look at it, the right way and the wrong way. He's saying, no, there are four. And he said, good Christians hold all four of these different beliefs. Mm. And uh, I remember just thinking, what a liberation. You know, it's not yeah. all or nothing. There are options. And that to me is a step of a step of growth to see, yeah, reality isn't that simple that it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. What What would you say are a couple of things that can help us become more comfortable whenever it comes to doubt? Yeah. Well, one is if we have some friends and even better, some teachers and mentors with whom we can be honest. Uh, if we don't have even one friend with whom we can be really honest it's very, very scary. And that's why I always encourage people who are going through a period of doubt to try to find one of those kinds of friends. And can I tell you, Caleb, you may not think of it this way, but I think people like you become friends for many of those people. They find a podcast where it's safe. When I listen to this podcast, I'm in the presence of of a host uh, like Caleb, who isn't going to jump down my throat if I ask a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's, it, you know, podcasts become the place where people feel safe. Uh, obviously, sometimes it's authors. That was the yeah. case for me. L- literally growing up, I couldn't find a single person that I really felt safe asking some of my questions to. But I would find authors who I could tell this person's thought about this deeply. And so I can, in a sense, open a book and have a conversation with this person about about my questions. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that that is part of the the reason why this podcast is going is to hopefully it can be that for people because I think, uh, you know, it's, I mean, and you know this too, it's just powerful knowing that someone else thinks the same way that you do or has holds that space for you because otherwise you you start to feel like maybe you're starting to lose your mind a little bit. Yes. Yes. That's right. You know, someone just told me yesterday um, that when he started having doubts, he considered committing suicide because he felt so alone, so isolated, and the threat of rejection was so great. Um, and it was a deep secret that he kept, that he kept because of the pain uh, that he felt. He couldn't make his doubts go away. They were there. He had these questions, but he couldn't admit them to anybody. And the pain of that brought him to a really dark place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love for you to kind of unpack the kind of the framework and the stages of doubt that really takes up so much of the book and really was one of the most helpful things to me as I was reading through the book and just thinking through how does it apply to my life and how can I use it in guiding and leading other people? Well, good. Well, thanks, Caleb. Um, So yeah, it's really simple. Uh, I can explain it in just a couple minutes and anybody can get the big picture. Um, uh, 
I'm, and what I'm doing here is synthesizing a whole bunch of great research from a yeah. wide array of theorists and, and scholars and, and researchers. And, and I should also say that I, I know that any stage theory oversimpl- oversimplifies and life is complicated and messy. So I'm not saying everybody fits into this, yeah. but it seems to fit a general pattern. First is stage one that I call simplicity. Second is stage two I call complexity. Third is stage three I call perplexity. And fourth is uh, I call harmony. So simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. And if you want to think of it in terms of math, um, in stage one, we're all about, it's all or nothing thinking. You're either right or wrong, with us or outside of us, insider, outsider, friend, enemy, good, evil, uh, uh, orthodox, heretic. The world is very simple in, in stage one. And then stage two, life gets a little more complex. You, you grow up, you know, Baptist, and then you meet, some, and you find, you're told that we Baptists have it right and everybody else has it wrong. And then you meet, a Methodist who really seems to be a wonderful person, <laughs> or you grow up and you're told Christians are good and everybody else is bad. And you meet a Muslim who's the nicest person you've ever met. And now your simplicity is shaken up. And now you have to figure out how do I cope with a world that's more complex? Uh, and that's what I call stage two um, complexity. And um, then what happens for a lot of people stay in stage one, their whole lives. A lot of people stay in stage two, their whole lives. I think more and more people at younger and younger ages are plunged into stage three perplexity. And that's when they not only say that life is complex, but they say, those people who told me that everything was simple, yes, no, in, out, us, them, all that, those dualistic or binary thinkers, I think that they're actually dangerous. And those people in stage two who are just looking how to make uh, get success at, at any cost. You know what? They, I think that's dangerous. And stage three is where we go back and we interrogate so much of what we learned and we start to see deep, deep problems with it. And a lot of people stay in stage three for the rest of their lives. Um, but I think, and frankly, a lot of people in stage three leave church and leave religion because um, they just decide, all religious people are in stage one and stage two. They don't yeah. want me. I don't want them. Um, but I think more and more people are finding, no, actually, stage three is not a rejection of everything good. It's, it's a questioning, trying to sort out the good from the bad. And then they begin to rebuild. And I call that stage four or harmony, where we start to learn, you know what, those people in stage one, that's just where they are. That's the way the world looks to them. Um, it used to look that way to me. Um, I don't have to hate them. They're doing the best they can. I don't have to be stuck in their world, but I don't have to reject them. And those people in stage two, I don't have to reject them. And people in stage three, I don't have to reject them. And and we develop this empathy to say, this is part of what it means to be human. And that I think is is a, a, a space of stage four, which I think if you live there long enough, becomes your new simplicity. And then eventually you're challenged by some new complexity. And I think that process repeats again and again. Yeah, that that was that was one of the big standouts to me is how you talked about how it's not like you arrive at stage yes. four and you stay there, because yes. it. I think what you say in the book and even uh, what you were alluding to is that it just becomes your new level of comfort for it, yes. and then we're disrupted again. <laughs> yes, at least for me, I'm I'm I'll be sixty five this year, and yeah, I, I I think in many ways the older you get. Yeah, the more you know, but the more you know that you don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think another another thought that I had while you were just talking, and I would just love any other thoughts that you have on it too, is um, how I could see very much how people who are in stage three get a bad reputation with it. Yes. But I think, and you even alluded to it, that uh, that no one goes in hoping that their church is wrong for them yes. or had it right. And I can even see how uh, at times it probably does feel like a sense of betrayal as well yes. for those people because it's like, well, yes. you've led me so much to this yes. path and I've come to the conclusion that it's wrong. Just any any thoughts or commentary on that? Well, I, I like how you say it. Yeah, it, you know, people get punished like they're doing something bad. So let's take an example. Somebody grows up in a church and their pastor 
says this is right and this is wrong. And if you believe this, you'll be a good person. And if you don't, you'll be a bad person. And they believe it. And they believe it for year after year. And then the pastor runs off with the secretary and all kinds of lies are told. And suddenly you're like, hold it. What do I do now? That pastor was telling me that he believed the right things and that would make him be a good person. Doesn't look, do I throw the whole thing out? Do I, what do I, you know, what do I hold on to? That's the perplexity of stage three. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any uh, recurring patterns that you've seen whenever it comes to, because I know that you have these conversations with a lot, like a lot of yeah. different people from pastors and even just other uh, people of faith as well. Are there any patterns that you've seen of like, hey, uh, like these are the things or these are the doubts that people tend to have that start moving them across on this on this journey? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it really varies, I think. It really varies. But these days, for a whole lot of people, there, there are d- doctrines that become yeah. problems, you know, like um, for some people, it's the, it, it's doctrines about scripture and they're told, hold it. Scripture never has any errors and scripture is a very simple, easy book to understand. And then they start reading and they say, hold it. Th- this guy says this, and this guy says this, and uh, yeah, I could try to make them fit together. But what it really sounds like is they have a, they're telling a different story entirely and what do I do with that? And and so that's one area. Uh, it, for that's a big area for Protestants. For Catholics, sometimes it's they're taught that the, there's something called the magisterium that the Pope and the cardinals are always guided by the Holy Spirit to make the right decision. And then they study church history and they say, "Gosh, that doesn't look like a right decision, and that doesn't look like a right decision." So they're you know they're put in conflict with that that teaching. Um, and, and there's a lot of other ones these days. You know, people are taught things about homosexuality, and then they, they they're that they're told, oh, this is a choice that people make, and then their best friend comes out to them, and it's very clear that it's not that simple. And mm-hmm. so, all of these kinds of issues, I think, uh, uh, put people in a position of having having doubts. But l- politics does it a lot too, yeah. especially when churches say, you know, you have to vote for this party or you're not a Christian, and they say, hold it, I got problems with that. That doesn't make sense to me. And uh, they find out if they ask questions, they're given an all-or-nothing ultimatum. Yeah. What is what has surprised you most in your life about doubt? Mm. Well, uh, I think what surprised me is I was taught that it was so horrible and bad. Mm. And in my experience, I've come to realize it opened the door to so many treasures and wonderful blessings. Now there's kind of doubt that is harmful, I know, but yeah, I was given this idea that it's just a bad thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a big part of my life, I was trying to fix the next, uh, if I could just fix this last detail, I'll never have doubts again. But now what I've come to see is no faith isn't about certainty. Um, faith is, is about a quest for truth. And a quest for truth means if I'm wrong about something, I want to know it. I, I don't yeah. want to be the last to admit it. I want to be the first to admit it. So uh, yeah, it would just be a, a different understanding of what uh, of what doubt really is. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there, there might be like a type of doubt that is harmful. What might that type of doubt look like? Well, we're seeing it um, right now. It, we all have, we all have something called bias. And bias is where we want the world to conform to our expectations. And if the world doesn't conform, we have ways of avoiding reality. Um, so, for example, you know, the, the, the evidence for climate change is overwhelming, but a whole lot of people don't want to believe it. So they doubt all the scientists who say it's real. We're seeing it with, the, uh, with, with COVID-19. A lot of people don't want their lives to be inconvenienced. And so they just say, oh, it's a hoax. I don't believe it. Or it's a minor thing. It'll be better by April is what was said, you know, about this time mm-hmm. last year. And, and so people, there, there's a tendency to doubt anything that will make me have to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the truth often makes us uncomfortable. So, uh, you know, that, that, that to me would be a destructive kind of doubt. Yeah. Is, 
is there any way to even self-diagnose that you're experiencing that type of doubt? Yeah, you know, the, I, I'd say this is where, uh, this is where, uh, this is where having self, uh, having a habit of self-examination really, really helps. Where we 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 learn how to admit I'm wrong or I'm unsure, or I don't know. Or even to say, this is what I think, but I could be wrong. You know, having the humility to say things like that and mean them becomes a really, really, uh, it becomes a protection. I don't think there's a foolproof protection. I think we can be fools. (laughs) All of us can be foolish. Yeah. Um, But I think there are habits that we can have that allow us to say, what am I missing? You know, mm. uh, in fact, when you think someone is wrong, if you can say to them, what am I missing? Uh, you might learn something from them, you know, mm. now you might still be right, but even you'll gain understanding into how they came to see it differently. So yeah, it's, it, to me, it's an attitude and really it's related to that powerful word in the Bible, the word humility. Um, I've been told it's one of the most repeated phrases in the whole Bible that pride goes before a fall <laughs> um, or that God opposes the proud. So this, you know, and I think we have to, to realize that there's a way to have faith and be arrogant and there's a way to have faith and be humble. And that humility is what I think we need. Do you have any uh, of the practices of humility that really help you? <laughs> Well, uh, I'll tell you, um, I don't know if it's this way for you, Caleb, but uh, there's always some people around telling me I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so well, if I become defensive, that will make me more likely to actually be an idiot. <laughs> but if I learn to not take myself so seriously and say, yeah, I'm sure I'm wrong about some things and I'm always open to learning where I'm wrong. You know, if I can just not be so uh, this defensive and all the rest, I think that's, that helps me to get to, to a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is what, ironically, these are some of the practices that Christians are supposed to have. For example, confessing our sins. Um, you would think that would get us more ready to admit that we're wrong. Um, or praying for wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. give me wisdom. Maybe we should just add another sentence. Give me wisdom. Because I'm not as smart as I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I would love uh, your thoughts on how doubt plays a role whenever it comes to love as well. Yes. Well, um, Caleb, that's such an interesting question. I, do you have any thoughts on that before I say anything? Because that sounds to me like you've thought about this. Well, I mean, I think, I think the thing that... Um, that it allows me to to think about is it allows me to take the other person into consideration whenever it comes in yes. because I'm I'm doubting that I don't know the full story that is yes. happening with the yes. person and so I think that allows me to lead more with compassion instead of like uh, Brian I know exactly what was happening why did you do <laughs> like why did you do this and everything um, and almost like uh, I guess it would be like believing or doubting that I don't know your situation and believing that you really were trying to do the best that you could. Yes, 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 yes. You know, it's interesting. We have that phrase, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Which is a phrase a lot like the word grace, you know? It's a lot like the word grace. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to judge you based on my limited knowledge. Yeah. Um, there must be a reason why you did this or that there must be extenuating circumstances if I, if I knew your story, I would probably have a lot more compassion. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think I think that is a very deep connection to love. I think you're right. Mm. I uh, One of the things that has got me thinking about uh, how I'm going to apply it from your book is the role of how do we lead other people through this yes. process? Because just as you mentioned, we we can very easily, and I'm guilty of it, 
myself in areas of my life of getting into the all or nothing, like the stage one, the stage two. Um, <laughs> yes. But what does it look like to lead people th- through that and even even yes. beyond that? So I, I, I've never, ever done this perfectly. But, you know, I was a pastor for 24 years. And that's when I developed this four-stage idea. Mm-hmm. And after I developed it, it changed the way I looked at my congregation. So I, I would get up on Sunday, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but it's true. A lot of us pastors and preachers, we assume everybody's just like us, you know. Um, but no, it, it would make me say, I've got to realize that there are some people here, all they want is they want somebody to tell them what's right and wrong, and they want clarity, and they want confidence in their leader. Uh, and so I've got to realize some people need that from me. Other people, um, what they really need is they already know what's right and wrong. They need some practical steps of how to get there. They need steps one, two, and three. That's what they're looking for. Other people are really nervous about people who look confident and offer steps. <laughs> so yeah. they need to know that I see the problems that they're going to bring up and, I, and that I respect the objections and concerns that they're going to raise. Um, and so that would be those first three stages. So yeah. if I'm leading from a stage four place, one of the things I do is I say, I have to speak to each of these four. In a way, I don't just have one congregation. I have four congregations. Now, look, some pastors only have one congregation. Everybody in their church is in stage one. But if they do their job, they'll help some people grow into stage two over time and stage three, stage four over time. So I think that's yeah. And, you know, if, if anybody needs a passage from Scripture to sort of resonate with that, in 1 John, I think it's in chapter 2, it says, I speak to you, old men, in such and such. And I speak to you, young men, in yeah. such. In other words, he's saying some of us are at different stages of maturity, and we need to know different things. And yeah. we need to be taught in different ways. Any thoughts on what that would look like for even just preparing a message or or a talk or anything like that of how you yeah. can incorporate that that mindset into that well you know what it might mean is you just take your sermon and think what am i offering here by way of clarity for people who are really looking for clarity but then for people who want more information because in in stage 2 in complexity you want information if I can say it this way, you don't just want the answer. You want the, the person to show his work of how he yeah. got to that answer. Yep. Stage two folks really appreciate that. And um, and then stage three folks also want you to acknowledge what you don't know. They, and they want you to show humility. And they're really sensitive toward injustice. And they want, they want to be sure that you're taking um, justice and compassion really into account. Uh, in the way you're dealing with, let's say, a biblical text. And then stage four people want to be sure that in the end, you bring them to what is ultimately the point, which is faith expressing itself in love. And and if you don't ever touch love, the stage four people, you know, they'll understand, but they'll feel like, boy, I, I if you could bring us to love, you know, that's where we all need to go. So I don't know, that that might be a way that that works. But you've given me something to think about. That could be a useful you know, something useful to try to model for pastors. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even just on the the love thing that you said, it's, it is, uh, I don't know if I want to use the term simple, but um, how, G- how Jesus literally said the most important, like he, Jesus always brought it back to love. Yes. yes. And you know what uh, I love about yeah. uh, Jesus? When you have these four stages in mind, you just can see, oh, like, he keeps it really simple. The, the guy says to him, what is the one greatest commandment? And he says, oh, that's easy. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you can see a little twinkle in Jesus' eye. Oh, but the second is equally important. Yeah. In other words, I know you want simplicity, <laughs> but I've got to complexify it a little bit. And uh, and so now we've got to deal with, uh, you've got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So now it's love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And then the guy says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus even takes it deeper to say, your neighbor includes the person you currently hate and think is worthless and wrong and dirty and all the rest. And oh my gosh, there he, he gets all four stages in that yeah. one passage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think just even, even the other powerful thing, and I think we, we, I 
we talked about it with the stage three, but even just how Jesus does not judge people based on where they're at whenever it comes to the stages as well. He just says, I'm going, I'm, <laughs> and it, sound, it sounds so simple and it, it, it is in a sense, but it's, I'm just going to love you right where you're at and I'm going, oh and I'm going to bring you forward in whatever stage, but I'm going to move at your pace. Yes. You, you know, I just yesterday I was reading in, in the Gospel of John uh, in chapter eight, that famous story of the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, this is such classic. Here's a group of stage one men who want to condemn a woman, which is not only about she's wrong and we're right, it's we're powerful and she is under our power. And what Jesus brilliantly does, he says, whoever among you has, the, has no sin, you can throw the stone first. And what he does is he says, look, before you focus on, on applying your tough standards on this woman, why don't you apply it on yourself? Mm-hmm. And when they, and you know, they don't take a rock and hit themselves in the head, so that they drop their rock. And in a sense, in that exchange, you watch him jolt people out of out of that stage one certainty they can often be arrogant and and even un, unintentionally they think they're doing the right thing and they really hurt people yeah I, another theme that is just so present throughout the book that you highlighted a lot is just the importance of honesty whenever it comes to our doubts as well yes. and that isn't harmful and so one of the things that i just wanted to ask is as you know, as a leader, as a pastor, or whoever it might be, how can we become better at creating those types of environments or creating those types of places or even being the type of person that people are, are comfortable being on, completely honest with? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I've just, I, I'm just meeting you for the first time yeah. today, Caleb, but I can tell you're that kind of person. Oh, um, thank and you. I, I think, I think it, I think it involves, uh, well, maybe there's. This is the only way to say it. you can't fake it. You have to mm-hmm. actually be a person who wants to be honest yourself, uh, honest with yourself, honest with God, and then, um, and then I think you can bring that same grace that you have with yourself to others. You know, yeah. I, I don't think there's any way to shortcut it. Uh, I, I think it, it, it. This is one of those places where. People who aren't being honest with themselves, um, who they they in a sense will impose that same policy on others. Uh, again, it comes back: love your neighbor as you love yeah. yourself. Uh, you know, you we have to learn how to love ourselves enough to say, "I am a human being. I have permission to be honest. Mm-hmm. God loves me. God wants me to be honest." And if people need a Bible verse for that, Psalm fifty-one gives a great Bible yeah. verse where. David says, you know what, God, you don't really care about all those offerings and all that stuff. What you really care about is honesty in the innermost being. Yeah. And he had to say that because he had been lying to himself and others for quite a while when he wrote that. Yeah. You have, you have such a, uh, I don't know if provocative quote is the right word to say, but you have in the book of only doubt can save the world. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. Well, we have so many dangerous ideas in the world that people are 100% sure of. Um, And those ideas can destroy us. Uh, You know, a lot of white people, they don't even understand the depths to which they've internalized the idea that white people run the world. And and sometimes white Christians don't understand. For them, it's the idea that Christians are God's chosen people. And so they have privileges over everybody else. That idea is so certain in their mind. They have no idea how much destruction has already been caused to other people um, and will still be caused to other people unless they're willing to doubt that idea. Mm-hmm. Some people have the idea, oh, God would never allow climate change to cause terrible trouble. Um, so we can burn all the oil we want. I mean, to me, that's like saying a child saying, I'm going to play with matches. God would never allow a fire to start, you know? So we have to be willing to doubt some of those very comforting ideas about God that actually could be super, super destructive to ourselves and others. Yeah. So that's what I mean. And it doesn't just go for religious beliefs. 
Um, yeah. Sometimes it's beliefs that we have about money or beliefs that we have about violence. And so on so many accounts, we are currently wrong. <laughs> and if yeah. we're wrong, we've got, we think we're right. We're going to have to doubt. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I just had this thought that we were talking about of how we even, and I would love your thoughts on it, how even it applies to um, our own doubts about our own selves as well. Because I, because I just, th- I was just like, I was just thinking about how whenever it comes to doubt, we tend to frame it in this, in the spiritual, my yeah. like, or the, the faith or the theology, but there's a lot of doubts that we have about ourselves that we might need to doubt. That's any, right. Exactly any thoughts right. about that? Oh my gosh. Well, that's so well said, um, Caleb. You know, I, you can think of a person who's saying, I could never do that. Yeah. You know, I could never go to college. I could never hold down a job. I could never stop drinking. I could never stop snorting Coke. I could, you know, whatever it is. And they've got to come to the point where they, they doubt that belief about themselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, I could never, you know, whatever, whatever sentence begins, I could never probably is something we, we ought to have the courage to challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, that you think of, uh, uh, that that beautiful phrase that comes up in the uh, in the Christmas story when Mary is told she's going to have a baby and she says, "How could that be?" And the message that comes to her is, um, uh, "With God, nothing is impossible." And and this faith to say, "I've got to doubt my definition of possible." <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. How is your life different? from now to, or compare your life to how your life is different between whenever you have started more embracing doubt compared to whenever you were maybe resisting it. Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, going back to that idea that we talked about earlier of all or nothing, some people think, oh, it's all faith or it's all doubt. And what I'm advocating is not either. I'm advocating that faith and doubt or faith and critical thinking are both really important. Yeah. And and when you live with that balance, you just have a lot more freedom. Um, you have a lot more freedom mm-hmm. because you, you, a, a question comes up and you don't have to suppress it or push it away. You're, you're free to say, well, that's interesting. Maybe yeah. I, I should investigate that a little bit. And that sense of freedom is, is a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I have one final question that I want to ask you but before that. Is there anything regarding doubt that we haven't? covered or that you haven't been asked about yet that you, that you would love to elaborate on? Well, you know, uh, you've asked such great questions and, and, uh, and it's just a pleasure to talk to somebody who's read the book and then his own curiosity gets stimulated (laughs) like that. So, so, um, uh, I I would just say, um, maybe one other thing, and that Mm -hmm. is for people who don't have a single friend that they can be honest to about their doubts. I would say that's something to pray for. That's something to look for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's something to be for other people. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the only way we get what we need is by being it for other people. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so sometimes the best place to start to feel like I don't have anybody I can really be open with is to let other people be open with you. And then guess what? You'll eventually have that uh, too. Yeah. Uh, the last question I want to ask you is what's something that you've learned within the last, you know, year or two that if you could have everyone learn this thing, could be a lesson, could be a skill, anything like that, that oh, you would say, boy, Hey, I, I want everyone to learn this thing. Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, with what's been going on in our country politically, um, there's been a lot of talk about conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and, um, one of the things that uh, I would wish that everybody could know is uh, how con artists get power by telling us what we want to hear, even if it's not in sync with reality. And we're so grateful that they told us what we wanted to hear that we stop thinking and let them do our thinking for us. And then they become authoritarian leaders. And so this relationship between faith, doubt, confidence and authoritarianism to me is really, really important in these times. 
That's good. Well, Brian, I know that people are going to want to continue to learn from you and get the book and everything. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? So it's just my name, brianmclaren.net is my website. And there's links there to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then all the resources, um, you know, I have some online resources that people might be interested in. I've got a blog and people can put a search word in on my blog. And it goes back many, many years now, if people are interested there. So a lot of things there, as well as links to Faith After Doubt and my other books. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Great, great to be with you. Thanks for, for having such a great podcast that helps people in the ways that you're doing. Absolutely love that conversation with Brian. And if you loved it too, the best way to make sure that you don't miss any future conversations on the Learner's Corner podcast is by subscribing on whatever podcast player you use, whether that is Google Play or Stitcher or Overcast or whatever. If you're like me and you listen on Spotify, hit that follow button and leave a rating and write a review. It really does help the podcast as well. And uh, also real quick, thanks to thanks again to Garrett and for Sam for making the podcast awesome. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And I think on that note, we're going to get out of here. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>